Well, I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Uh, that's located, well, there's some few Bibles nearby you if, you, if that's helpful for you, or I'm sure you can find it in the app, maybe on your, your phone if you've got one of those, but it's located a little bit after Judges, so Joshua Judges, before you get to First and Second uh, Kings, so Second Samuel. Uh, we took a, a break uh, two weeks ago on Easter Sunday to focus on Easter matters, and then last week Sam uh, Fielder delivered our message working through Second Samuel chapter 4 and talking about the, some of the dynamics of trusting, trusting God, which is a theme we're uh, seeing over and over again in, in this particular book of the Bible. And today we want to uh, talk about uh, that theme, continue to look at those themes, and, and another one really that flows throughout all of the scriptures, but certainly we find in both First and Second Samuel, And that is the dynamics of trusting God's timing versus our timing. Walking in pace, seeking to walk in pace with God. And we've uh, mentioned already, I think, that uh, sometimes it seems like God is going so slow to do those things that we really long for him to do today. And think it makes good sense to us that he ought to do today, even really good things. And other times, it seems like he's, you know, dragging us along way faster than we really want to go. And we're prone to dig in our heels. And we'll see through this passage in the life of David that God's perfect timing is working out for him, even though it's taken quite a long time to to get there. We see the culmination of many things, many promises that God has made in his life. So... Uh, Read along with me and pay attention to where we see that and also the dynamics of of Dave, of this working out in David's life. How does it shape who he is and what happens to him that he is learning to walk in pace with God's timing and not his own timing as these things are coming to fulfillment? Many things promised to him. So read along with me. Second Samuel, chapter uh, five, starting in the first verse. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought in Israel. The Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd to my people Israel, and you shall be a prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel, again, remember, that's the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom has already recognized his kingship. Now the northern one is. Came along, he came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 40. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David, and David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the, quote, lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. Therefore, it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into his house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. David built the city all around him from Milo inward. And David became greater and greater 
for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, that he'd exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron and more sons and daughters were born to David. And you can read the names of the wives when the or the children and the, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? The Lord said to David, go up. I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. David came to Baal-perazim and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has burst through my enemies before me like a bursting flood. flood. Therefore, the name of the place is called Baal-perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there and David and his men carried them away. Lastly, the Philistines came up and yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. David inquired of the Lord. He said, you shall not go up. Go around to their rear. Come against them from the opposite. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself. The Lord has gone out before you. Strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines at Geba to Gezer. Let's pray together again. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your timing. And we confess that we most certainly have many areas and at regular points in our life where we feel like you are so slow in doing the things, even good things, that we desire for you to do. And Lord, we recognize as well there's other areas where we feel like you are just dragging us forward and we're not quite ready to go forward. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would help us to see the goodness of your timing, of your control, of your loving lordship over all the things that happen. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since we... In the Peters family, only had about six different uh, sporting events going on in the last uh, six days. We decided to add one early uh, yesterday morning and run a 5K, me and a couple of my boys together, early on in the morning. Been a while since I had uh, done a race like that. And, you know, uh, parents usually like to, to brag on their kids, right? But, but I got to tell you, folks, I finished... Fourth place, fourth place in this 5K, and the best that one of my sons could do was 13th. You believe that? I'm talking fourth place, folks. Now, it was fourth place among the 41 to 45 age males, and the 13th place was overall out of all 288. But let's not get focused on the details, people. Let's not worry about that. Fourth place. In the 5K. Well, if you're somewhere along that uh, parenting journey, whether you're maybe a little bit ahead of me in things in terms of the age and stage of your kids or you're, uh, you know, at, at, uh, at a newer stage of, of things and learning along the way. And I'm a little bit ahead of you on those matters. The, uh, the interesting thing you see is that it just 
goes by like that, doesn't it? It's amazing how fast the dynamics change. Because I can vividly remember when my oldest, maybe around when he was age eight or so, so maybe four years ago, wanting to go jogging with dad. And uh, parents, if you've done something like that with your, your kids, you know how it goes. You know, it was just tedious to try to slow down my pace slow enough and shorten the distance that I normally go to try to get in line with where he was at age eight. And in the blink of an eye, yesterday, I, I hardly saw him after the race began. Off uh, ahead, both of the boys that ran with me. Actually, one was nice enough to hang out with dear old dad for a little while. And it seemed like we were, you know, talking through deep breaths and all of a sudden he was gone, too. And I was uh, pacing along on my own. Uh, sometimes uh, you got to slow down the pace. Sometimes you got to speed up. But it's an adjustment either way. And it's not always something we do very well. As we look at this passage today, I thought about that because I, I think it relates very directly to one of the big challenges we have with God's sovereignty, with God's control, his direction, whatever you want to call it in our lives. And that is his timing of things, right? Sometimes he seems to be giving us things or drawing us out, as I said earlier, in, in, a, in a, a season that we're not quite ready for it. And other times he seems so slow to do the things we want him to do. And we see that in this passage today for us. And, and so even if we are here today and you've recognized who Christ is, Maybe recognize, you know, that each of us is a sinner, not just in the outward things that we do, but in the very motivations and direction of our heart. Recognize that Christ has met that need. He's come and lived a perfect life so that he could take away our unrighteousness and give us his righteousness and, and maybe have begun to walk in that in faith and repentance. Maybe if the, even if those are real realities day to day for each of us, it is still difficult To stay on pace with God and to walk on pace with him. That's a struggle, I think, probably for all of us. If you want to follow along to the sermon a bit in the worship guide, there's a sermon note section at the back. And it it really just highlights this main idea. And the main idea is not complicated, but the application of it, I think, is very challenging and very will be very engaging for us. And the main idea is just this, that since God's timing is perfect... We should seek to adjust our pace to his. His timing is perfect. We ought to seek to adjust our pace to his. And we can think about this in a number of categories, can't we? Think about relational waiting. Call it relational waiting. Maybe you're a parent and there's something you're hoping to see in your child in the way of their achievement or the way of their character or development spiritually or whatever in their life. And it seems very slow. You prayed about it. You asked the Lord to bring it, and it seems slow. Maybe, maybe uh, with your spouse. Maybe with your spouse you've been praying for years, maybe for decades, and, and waiting to see some things happen. And, you know, you can't make that person change, and that ultimately there's some adjustment maybe on your own part, but it, it seems slow. The Lord seems slow to do maybe a good thing. Maybe you're a, a boss and somebody you supervise, or maybe you're supervised by a boss, and you're praying for God to do something in that person's life, and, and, and the Lord seems so slow to do it. And maybe it seems like it's never going to happen. Maybe the waiting isn't uh, relational. Maybe it's more societal. 
If you've got a heart for the things of the kingdom of God and recognize that the Bible doesn't just call us to individual salvation, but to really pursue and pray for cultural transformation, then, then you're burdened by things like uh, the sanctity of life, by ethnic or racial injustice, by limitations that seem to be put on religious freedom, even in our own country. Those things are heavy on on our hearts, perhaps. We've been praying and asking God. It's a good thing for God to work his power in those areas, but it seems slow to wait on him. Maybe it's uh, related to church life. You, You long for folks to be more sincere in their relationships with one another in the church or to be more diligent in pursuit of spiritual growth or more authenticity or for your pastor to improve in the many different areas where I'm sure I could pro improve. You're, you're, you're praying for those things and, and yet they don't seem to be happening at the pace that you or I would like. Maybe it's just in the area of personal transformation. There's areas of growth of you. You've recognized this idea of having joy in the Lord but find that it's so hard, like, like me, I find it so hard to, to really pursue that each day. To find my fullest satisfaction in Christ. You, you, you want that, you know that's good. Or to step away from some sin patterns that keep dragging you down and, and they seem slow to have change come there as well. You know, we are a uh, microwave, instant Wi-Fi, Google Maps, online news group of people. And I think we're kind of always that way. You know, it doesn't, it's not just in our time and in our culture, but especially in our culture, we expect what we want and we want it to come now, not later. And it's tough to wait on things. The opposite's a little bit true for us, too, that sometimes we can kind of be lagging behind the Lord, right? Maybe even in areas... It's not even a question. We kind of know that the Lord wants us to go forward in this particular area. It's maybe in black and white right here in this book. But we're hesitant and we feel like he's dragging us forward faster than we want to go. We're hesitant to go at his pace because it's faster than ours. Uh, Maybe it's taken on a particular service role like I just talked about. You've got a sense that God or you know God's leading you to do that, but you know, just haven't taken that step. Maybe it's sharing our faith. I was excited to hear one of the uh, college students in our group, to, to, in our church today, talking to me about how he took a step to share faith, his faith with a classmate. And we talked about how who knows what the Lord would, would do with that. Maybe it's starting a small group in your workplace. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's beginning to give financially, generously, not just to this church body, but to other ministries. Maybe taking that step and you, you feel like God's rushing you forward. But really, he's just inviting you to be on his pace. But where do we see all of this playing out in this passage today? Where do we see God's timing? And then what do we learn from it specifically about the dynamics of running that course like David was learning to run that course? How does it play out? Well, let's make sure we understand the setting here to begin with. So David all the way, and maybe I should have said this to begin with, but David all the way back in 1 Samuel, I think it was chapter 16 or so, he is anointed king. As far as we know, he's in his teenage years, maybe his, maybe his late teens or whatever, but he's certainly not anywhere near the age 30 that, that he is now. And so he's anointed a long time before. And if you know anything, just a broad history of 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, the whole rest of the book is basically him on the run from King Saul. 
King Saul is the one that was king, but David had already been anointed by Samuel that he was going to have that role one day. And so imagine the strain, the demands, the struggle of waiting for all of that. You've actually been promised by the living God something, and you have to wait for it so long. And then even at the beginning of 2 Samuel, we saw a couple of weeks ago, that's the beauty of kind of working through some books of the Bible this way. We saw in 2 Samuel that the, the southern kingdom, Judah, it was called, they embrace David. They recognize him as king. And then it seems like if we're reading it correctly, there's an extended period then and have a civil war in fighting before David is now in chapter five recognized by that northern kingdom. Now you say, well, didn't David do some things to bring this about? Is this really about God's timing or is this about David and what he did? Well, yes, David uh, demonstrates what I would label a magnanimous attitude. So he does everything he can to reach across the line to those who would be opposed to him, if, if that's a good way to, to put it. So he, he does that. But at the same time, it's clear that this is all happening only as God allows it to happen in his pace, in his timing. So you get that picture. You, you've got uh, that idea in mind. And, and so... It leads us to this, whether we talk about the challenge of of having to wait on God or of God dragging us too far ahead. The scriptures we know speak of it in this way. Uh, The Apostle Paul just says, says it this way, keeping in step with the spirit. We're invited to keep in step with the spirit. That idea of pace, I think, will be a good picture for us as we look at some application points. Let's take a look at what it shapes up to in David's life for him to... Come to this place where God's finally bringing this fulfillment of something he's been waiting on for so long. Look at chapter 5 again in Second Samuel, in verse 6, and we're going to walk through a couple of themes. The first one we see is confidence. David understanding what the season and the time is and that God's moving and he's in pace with God brings him tremendous confidence. And you may be here today and, you know, sort of have an overload of confidence, but it's confidence in yourself. But probably most of us here today, we don't have an overabundance of confidence. We lack confidence in maybe some significant areas of our, our lives. So this is a big one for us. And look at, look at verse uh, 6 and, and following. We read it just a minute ago. I think you get the picture. And, and if you think uh, talking smack is something new, You know, trash talking is something new. It's right here in the Bible. Did you pick it up? The Jebusites are still one little pocket. So you've got northern kingdom and southern kingdom have said, hey, David, you're our guy. We want you to be king. But there's still this one pocket, which happens to be in a little place called Jerusalem. You know, pretty noteworthy location. And and David comes along. He's about to fight them. And they say, look, the blind and the lame are going to ward you off, buddy. You, know, you, you can't even beat our blind and lame. That's the sort of, that's what we think our opinion of you. And David actually responds, you know, I guess we don't know sometimes whether these things are justified or that's the way we should respond. But David basically responds and says, yeah, we'll come up and beat your lame and blind. We'll show you how we can handle lame and blind. So, so there's a little bit of trash talking going on there. But the point is this, the confidence that David has is impressive. And in fact, it's to such a degree, and maybe you've been around folks like this or had periods in your life where you even felt this sort of confidence, where it almost seems a little bit arrogant. That that confidence in God is so high that it almost seems, I think about 
some of the famous missionaries we could highlight. Think about a guy like Hudson Taylor. If you know anything about what's happening in China in the last 30 or 40 years, there's been an explosion of the gospel where it's gone from maybe uh, 8 to 10 million people in China being believers in the middle of the 1950s to, you know, 100 million, maybe more Chinese that have embraced the faith. Well, where does that all go back to? That goes back to missionaries, one of whom, there were a lot of them, but one of the leaders of whom was this guy Hudson Taylor. And I don't know if you remember what he said, but his big prayer was, this was before even a little bit of missionary work was going on in this far-off land of China. He said, God, give me China. Give me China. That's a big prayer request, right? That's not like, give me this little area, give me this little neighborhood. He was bold and said, give me China. Maybe you remember the story of John G. Patton, who was a missionary to the to the New Hebrides, which are you know Pacific Islands that were inhabited at the time by cannibals, by people who had cannibalistic tendencies, I guess you would say, would eat people. And he was preparing to go there. This was, you know, centuries ago, but he was preparing to go there and share the faith. And indeed, other missionaries had already gone and had, that had been the result for them. And one of the sort of elder statesmen of the particular church or mission board that he was trying to be sent forth from stood up and, and said to this John G. Patton guy, you know, who was a young man at the time, he said, you can't go there. You'll be eaten. You'll be eaten by cannibals. And John G. Patton's response, which, again, maybe was a little bit, you know, maybe some overconfidence, I don't know. But he responded to that elderly gentleman and said, hey, I may be eaten by cannibals, but you will soon be eaten by worms. You will soon be eaten by worms. That kind of uh, confidence, where does that come from? In some cases, you know, people can just be overconfident or arrogant. But in the case of guys like that, I think it came from the fact that they knew that this was God's timing and God was calling them to this purpose. That's what we see a bit with King David here as well. And the question for us is this today. What are some of those areas in our lives where we really lack confidence? And maybe we cover up for it by a sort of demonstration of overconfidence, but it's actually just rooted in, in, in space. It's not rooted in anything deeply. And what would it look like? In some of those areas, for us to find confidence in God. Because when we recognize, hey, God has us here at this time for this purpose, and we're in pace with him, we should have full confidence in the things that we do. We should have full confidence. That doesn't mean that we don't receive advice or input from others, or that we you know, steamroll people in our efforts to, to pursue it. But it means we have a, a, a centeredness in Christ. That shapes who we are. Confidence is one of the things that we see here. Where does that confidence come from for David? Let's see it here in verse 10. You'll see, hopefully I'm not making these things up. Verse 10, it says, and David became greater and greater. It says it right there. His influence, his leadership, who he was, is becoming more and more uh, significant and weighty. Why? How? For the Lord, the God of hosts was with him, was with him. God was working in his life. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I'd love to see more strength, more peace, more joy, more hope in my life. And I don't know why I don't see those things. 
Part of that might be that we're just not recognizing if we're in Christ that God is with us. He's with us in in each and everything that we're dealing with. And when we learn to be in pace with him, then we see that on a day-to-day basis. We're not running ahead of him. We're not lagging behind him. Let let me read it to you from another passage in Scripture. You don't need to turn there, but Romans chapter 8. Probably a passage that, you know, that we may have heard before here and there. We won't read the whole thing, but 831. And, And think about what this would mean for us understanding that God's blessing us and the identity that we can have in that. Verse 31 of Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is writing. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he also with him not graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against us? And then he goes on in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, David looked ahead to Christ. He was looking ahead and he had figures and pictures that pointed forward to Christ. We, we had the great privilege of looking back on Christ. If David was able to have that confidence, how much more should we recognize God's blessing, God's with us because of who Christ is? Do you see that today in your life, that Christ is with you, uh, God is with you through Christ? Third thing we see is that this shapes David's priorities. So we're back here in in 2 Samuel, again, chapter 5, verse 12. It shapes that timing and understanding of being in pace with God shapes how he views the things that he accomplishes. Verse 12, it says, And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel. This is right after he's, so he's defeated. He's now king of Israel, king of Jerusalem. He's defeated Jerusalem. He's taking control of it. Then he's got kings from other places voluntarily coming to bring him lumber and materials to build himself a house. He's not even apparently asking for them. They're just bringing it. And it says, David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, that he, and that he had exalted his kingdom. Why? So that David could be important? So that we could see all the great things about David? Listen to the last part of the sentence. For the sake of his people, Israel. David recognized, like hopefully you and I are learning to recognize more and more, that his skill set, his resources, his energy, his personality, whatever the things that were made up for him to be, And the particular timing of what God was doing in his life was not actually about him. Wasn't about him. It was about what God wanted to do for his kingdom purposes. That makes sense. The one of the pastors from the past says that the uh, gospel is a beautiful thing because it exalts a man without inflating him and it humbles a man without degrading him. Exalts a man without inflating him and humbles a man without degrading him. That's the kind of thing you see with David. You know, you and I have an exalted status if we are in Christ. But we're not inflated by that. 
and, and we are humbled because we recognize it only ultimately comes from God. It doesn't actually ultimately rooted in our ability or strength or our timing. It's ultimately rooted in God. It's a beautiful picture for us to meditate on as we think about our part to play. What is your part? What is my part today, this week, to play in God's kingdom? Where does he want to use us in that? So we see confidence, we see blessing, we see the kingdom, and then we see what I think is some stumbling. And we don't have a lot of time to go into it again today, but verse 13, we see David stepping out of the biblical parameter of, you know, one man with one woman in marriage, going all the way back to Adam and Eve. Jesus reaffirms it. The apostle Paul reaffirms it. Uh, David is unfortunately here following along in the ways of the other kings of the time, which was to expand your power and your influence by not only having multiple wives, but also concubines and and thereby, you know, producing uh, perhaps more children. Uh, That's that's the idea here. But it's a reminder for us of this, I think. And that is that, you know, when you look at David, especially at this point, you know, we're going to see him go way off track in a couple of chapters here. But generally, at this point, he seems like he's in pace with with God. He's going. And it's just a reminder that even if we're generally running our course with God, we can still get drawn off into a substantial detour. Right. Even if it's generally the case that we're running our, our course with God, we can still get pulled away. What are maybe the areas of your life and mine that we're being pulled away? Or maybe we know we've been pulled away and we're on one of those uh, detours right now next thing we see and there's just two more is the uh the resistance that david faces okay because you might think if you read just the first part of this chapter he had a little pushback from the jebusites but he handled them no no problem they weren't even phase him that david just kind of one smooth roll after another if you're in pace with god then everything's just going to be peaches and cream for for you and me every day it's going to be fantastic well, you get to verse 17 if you look there with me. And these folks by the, call it by the name of the Philistines rise up again. And if you know anything about the Bible, these folks are contenders. These aren't like the folks that, that, that were in Jerusalem with the lame and the blind. These are some hardened fighters, apparently, because they keep coming back again and again. And, and they present or seek to present some resistance to David. And it's just a reminder again for us, for you and me, that guess what? Even if we are starting to learn to pace ourselves with God, not run ahead of him and not lag behind, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be just fine in our lives or that we won't encounter some hiccups or challenges along the way. In fact, it seems David being on pace brings these folks out. They see what's happening with him and they want to go to try to, to knock him down. They're looking to knock him down. Well, lastly... And maybe most important of all of these points that I've highlighted, all of these aspects of David's course that he's running here with God, is verses 19 and verse uh, 23, as he's battling the Philistines. And there's several other places in 1 Samuel and in 2 Samuel where it mentions this, but I don't know of any other where it mentions it twice in one chapter or within just a couple of verses. Look at those verses with me. It says, David inquired of the Lord. Verse 23, and, de- and when David inquired of the Lord. How do, you, how do you and I get these things to be a reality in our lives? 
So we walk out of here and we say, okay, I want to have the confidence that comes from knowing that God is blessing me. He's in my life. He's in my court. That I'm, my life is for the kingdom, not for myself. I want to seek to avoid the stumbles along the way. And I want to recognize and overcome the resistance. How do I actually do that? How do I actually do that? Well, we're reminded here, it, it comes through prayer. It's through calling out to God, through that dependence upon God that happens. You know, how do we get our hearts in sync with God? It's got to be through prayer. And that's why in our worship services we have times of prayer. It's not just a religious kind of thing to do or a churchy thing to do. In our Sunday school communities, we have some set prayer themes that we try to focus on each week to at least highlight one area of life and ministry of our church or community we can pray for. In our life groups, hopefully we're praying for one another and hopefully individually we're developing a personal prayer life throughout the day and maybe some time set aside for prayer as well. That's how we take all this in. That's how we begin to walk in pace. The last thing... I want us to see is this in conclusion, you know, David in the scriptures is the pinnacle of the Old Testament kingship, even with all his foibles and sins that, you know, are throughout his life, but especially coming up in a couple of chapters here. And yet David, even in the highest degree that he rises, is only a picture, a precursor, a foreshadowing to the one who would come after him, the son of, of David, Christ. And I just want to close by us making sure we see the beauty of who Christ is. First of all, when we think of pace and timing, I think of the fact that the scriptures tell us that at just the right time, God sent his son into the world. Right? People longed for him for decades, for centuries to come and bring his salvation. At just the right time, he came and was sent into the world. And then think about how these things that we see with David play out in the life of Jesus. The confidence. Do you remember when he was challenged by people? And you read the stuff that Jesus said in the Bible. And and there's a reason people say Jesus either got to be a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Because the stuff he says is the stuff of a megalomaniac if if it wasn't true. People challenged him and he said, I am who I am. That's the way he answered people who were challenging his identity. He said, I am uh, connected to part of this being God who has always been. That's who I am. You want to talk about some confidence? That's some confidence he showed because he knew who he was. He knew he was blessed. God came down and it said, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. God spoke to him. He was about the things of the kingdom. Remember his prayer. He said, not my will be done, but your will be done. Even at the point of his crucifixion and trial. Jesus, we know, didn't stumble at all. The scriptures tell us in terms of his sin and his righteousness that he had no sin in Hebrews. And then lastly, we know that Jesus not only taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, in places like John 17, he prayed, he pleaded for God to be at work in our lives. He was a man of prayer. Jesus was uh, the one who walked in step, walked in pace with God perfectly and continues to do so and even intercede for us to be able to as well. Not lagging behind, uh, not running ahead, but on pace with the living God. Let's pray.
Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminder that you call us to a journey in life with you, a spiritual walk. In fact, the early church, we know they called it the way. They called it the way as it was a path, a a trail to follow. So it's perfectly right and good for us to think of it that way today. And we ask, Lord, that you would really help us to embrace your sovereign control because we know you're good and because we know you see things we can't see. And, Lord, that's a struggle in some really deep places, probably in the lives of people here today, of waiting on you. Other folks, probably, Lord, that you've been leading to go forward and we're digging in our heels and we're lagging. We're slacking behind. Father, we pray that you would... Give us your strength to move forward in those areas you're calling us to. And in all of those things, we'd see the beauty of running stride for stride with you through this life. That would be something we desire to have, a mark of our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.